All right, we've been working through the book of Jonah, this uh, tiny little book, which really is about two pages in your Bible, four very short chapters, and uh, we are today on uh, chapter three in the book of Jonah, where Jonah gets to hit the big city today on his uh, beautiful little adventure, which began in the opening pages, God telling Jonah, hey, would you go and preach to the people of Nineveh? Uh, because God wasn't happy with the, what they were doing. They were one of the most brutal nations in history. And God saw that, and God asked Jonah to go and talk to them. And so Jonah says, no way, Jose, I am not going there. And so he runs down to Joppa, and he hops on a boat, and he sails across the known world to the, 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 the other end of the known world, which was Joppa. But he doesn't make it there because there's a storm that happens. And uh, it's a very nasty storm, and you know they're throwing stuff overboard, and these, these seasoned sailors think they're going to sink, and so they start trying to figure out who caused the storm, because back then, no matter what happened, they always thought it was the result of the gods. The gods caused this somehow, and they were trying to figure out what god caused the storm, and they kind of narrow it down to Jonah, and Jonah says, yeah, it was me, you know, I'm disobeying God, and... <laughs> you know, my God is God over the oceans and over the, the universe, and you know, I'm running from him, it's my fault. And so Jonah says, well, just throw me overboard, just kill me, uh, that'll end this. And they were like, we don't want to kill you. And so they try harder and harder to save the ship, but these seasoned sailors eventually realize there's no way to save the ship, and so they take Jonah, and they throw them overboard, and this miracle happens, and the storm just immediately stops. And these sailors, it says, are instantly converted, and they begin to worship Yahweh. Jonah is sinking into the ocean, and, and, uh, and, and this whale comes along, this big fish, not a whale, it's the Hebrew is a big fish, comes and gobbles up Jonah, and he's stuck in this fish uh, for three days and three nights, and as we saw last time, in this fish, Jonah has this, he has this revival in the middle of the belly of the whale. I mean, he was literally, you know, just... The Hebrew, the, the poetry, the satire of this book is he goes down and down and down. He goes from his hometown down to Joppa, and then he goes down into the bottom of the ship, and then he goes down into the ocean, and then he's down into the belly of the whale and under the water. He's at the lowest point, and he begins to repent, and he has this revival in, 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 in the belly of the whale, just as sometimes you and I, when we're at the bottom of things, we begin to be revived in our spirit and our relationship with God. And he has this revival. He says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And he begins to pray and he begins to worship. And, and then we ended up with this giant fish vomiting Jonah on, back onto the beach. And, uh, and that's kind of where we, we left it off with this very strange, unique book in Scripture. And so when we pick it up in chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Which we have to go back to chapter 1 for that message, which I guess we'll look at later. Uh, Nineveh was this tremendous city. It was, as archaeology uh, tells us, the biggest city of the day. You know, about 120,000 people, probably maybe just a tad smaller than Kelowna. Very, very large city today. And the ruins are still there. They're, they're more ruined than they used to be. Um, 
uh, ISIS actually destroyed some of the rebuilding efforts back in 2016 because there were folks who were actually trying to rebuild the city of Nineveh. And I know some of the end times prophecy folks were just getting all, you know, stirred up because Nineveh was being rebuilt. And, but then ISIS destroyed it in 2016, so I don't know what happened to that. But anyways, it's still there. It's in Iraq, uh, the city of Nineveh. And, and they were a very, very brutal group of people. And uh, even, you know, just, you know, general scholarship out there will say that they were one of the most brutal people. In fact, we have, they, we have detailed records of how brutal they were because they flaunted it. They recorded themselves how brutal they were to other people. And in the British Museum, for instance, we have a, their own records of their attack on Lachish, which is actually found in the Bible in Second Chronicles 32.9. It says... King Shennacherib of Assyria, and uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, was still besieging the town of Lachish. And so in their little record of this attack, which is also found in the Bible, we see here is a, a picture of their, their siege ramp and their, and their little siege machines uh, heading up the ramp. And you can go there today to Israel and you can see the old siege, siege ramp at the ancient site of Lachish from uh, the ancient Assyrians. And then here we see an image of them uh, skinning people alive and pulling their skin off. And, and they would do this. They'd go into these towns and they would you know, take the leaders of the town in front of the folks and they would kind of skin them alive. And so they have records of the uh, Assyrians doing that to folks. And then here we have them impaling people up you know, various orifices and putting them on poles. And, you know, they would stack heads in pyramids. And I mean, they were just this brutal, brutal group of people. And, uh, and so God is asking Jonah to go to this great city and deliver this message. And the message we remember is from chapter one. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Or as the message says, up on your feet. And on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. I mean, God sees how brutal they're being, and he sees the suffering that they're created. And so God just, he uses people. That's why it's good to be open to being used, because God is always asking people, he says, Jonah, can you go and talk to these folks? And again, Jonah runs away, and he has this revival in the whale. And so, uh, so now he's on to the city. So this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. Now that's the New Living Translation. And you'll notice, so if you have a New Living Translation, and if you read your Bible, which hopefully you do, you'll have to see these little notes. And the note here will note that the actual Hebrew says, a great city to God of three days journey. And uh, there's a bit of a debate about this this passage because the, the the actual Hebrew says it took three days to go across the city. It was a three days journey from one side to the other, which uh, w would be literally impossible. Uh, so some Bibles kind of kind of try to soften that, like the NI and New Living Translation, and say, well, what it means is being three days to see it all. But the Hebrew seems to say it takes three days to go across, as other versions like the. One kind of a literal translation says a three days journey across or the NIV, it took three days to, to go through it. And, and so there's debate over this. Some folks, uh, because again, there's Orthodox scholars who think this is a historical book. There are Orthodox scholars who think this is a, a big parable, just like one of Jesus' parables with a point. 
And whether you see it as a historical book or a parable, the overall point of the book is exactly the same, but there's debate about how, why this is, and those who see it as a parable just see this book as, I mean, it is, it's satire. There's a lot of exaggeration and bigness and grandness in this book, and we'll put it in that category. Other people will say that, well, maybe he was just talking about, you know, journeying across it or something. But there's debate around that passage. So, on the day Jonah entered the city, so he goes, he's obeying God. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to do this. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That, that's his sermon. <laughs> Doesn't mention Yahweh in his sermon, which is already a kind of a negative point. He just says, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. That, that's, it's actually not quite the message God told him. Because again, it's, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, which I guess he did. Because this wickedness has come up before me. But he doesn't seem to quite mention God. Or he doesn't, you know, you know God is, is you know, he loves you. He's just concerned about what you're doing. He's just like, God's going to destroy you. He's like the, the old, what are you, know, Bible thumper, turn and burn kind of, a, you know, preacher uh, uh, towards these folks. Which is, it's, it's, a, it's a point, you know, sometimes when we hear God's voice, we can kind of add our own thing to it. <laughs> when we go out and share it with others. You know, God might speak to us. Then we add our own twists. And I don't really like that person, so I'm going to make it harsher than what God told me. And <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to take what God has put on your heart and stick your own stuff into it. It always end up hurting people. And so when you hear God speak to you and before you share it, you just always need to do a check. God, is this really, am I hearing you right on this? Am I getting myself in this somehow? Um, so Jonah, that's his message. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, it seems a bit weird. Some people say, well, this is part of the satire. This is the, the grandness and the kind of the parable kind of idea of this book. You know, this is satire. It's just kind of, everything's upside down and backwards in this book. Other people say, well, Jonah here just kind of puts the least amount of effort in because Jonah still doesn't really want to do this. You know, it's like when you tell your kid, hey, can you go clean your room? And they come back later and say, I cleaned the room. And you go down there, it's like one piece of underwear was moved into the laundry bin. And it's like, it's clean. It's like, that was about the least amount of effort you could put in just to say you did it. And that could be what Jonah's doing here. And I want to obey you, God, but I'm going to do the least possible because I despise these people. And so his sermon's just like, 40 days and God's going to destroy you. Most likely, this is maybe just a summary of what Jonah said. Partly because later in this chapter, we see that maybe there was more that Jonah said. Because a lot of the dialogue in the Bible is summary. I mean, you look at the conversations in the Gospels, a lot of it is summary of the overall conversation. But this is what was at least recorded. Uh, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now think about this. This is a, this crazy brutal nation that skins people alive, you know, that jams logs through people. And if you read about the Assyrians in some of the historical books like Chronicles and Kings, these guys had no fear. They didn't put up with any intimidation. They weren't willing to bargain with anyone. And Jonah shows up and simply says, 40 days and the city's going to be destroyed. Now, what do you think is going to happen? And we had to expect he's, he's going to lose his head. You know, these people are going to like, who is this Jewish guy, you know, in our town? And here's 120,000 plus and there's this one little guy and like, you know, we're going to throw him in prison or cut his head off. You think that's going to happen, but this book is all backwards. And it says, the people of Nineveh, Believe God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. It's just like everyone immediately repents. I think this book is just, 
you know, it's, everything's big and grand and it's like another satire nation, uh, uh, satire of this book. Uh, but I mean, if this actually happened, this would have been the biggest revival in all history. <laughs> the, the craziest on-the-moment revival. And, you know, there are hints of that in history, of these crazy revivals that have broken out in cities and towns where, you know, these people are just walking along and they're hit by the, the power and the presence of God and immediately just, they just give their lives over to Jesus and, you know, these powerful movements of God. And, and, and so there are hints of that, but this would have been the biggest, craziest, quickest revival in all of history. And, again, we talked about this idea that Jonah was running from God because, you know, he wasn't into what God was doing, but God was actually inviting him in to be a part of the biggest revival in history. And there are times when God puts something on our heart and we're like, no way, and we, we run from it when in reality, God might be just inviting you into something that is so crazy and cool. It's like he did Jonah. And so, you know, we just don't want to run from God. And so the, all these people start repenting and not only the people, but it says, when the king of Nineveh heard that Jonah was saying, what he was saying, he called for Jonah, cut off his head, and that was it. No. He stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. This book is just backwards. I mean, Jonah is the prophet. He's supposed to be the faithful, God-following person, and he's completely unfaithful. You know, the pagan sailors are supposed to be pagans, but they're more humble towards God than Jonah is. And, you know, the, the Ninevites were these brutal people, and they just immediately repent. And the king was the most powerful person. He didn't let anybody push him over, and now he's on his knees in repentance. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, uh, just th this book and, and the move of the Spirit of, upon Nineveh. There's just this mass repentance. And, and, you know, it's not beyond God. We need to be praying for this. You never know. I mean, there could, that could happen here. <laughs> In an instant, when there's like thousands of people uh, converted. But he humbles himself. And, and, and it says, Then the king and the, his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pay, pray earnestly to God. Like, people, you, you wear your mourning clothes and all the animals. I mean, in the Hebrews, like the herds of the cattle here. I mean, just think of that. Like, it's like, Uncle, you know, Uncle Joe, do you have any more mourning clothes? I need them for my sheep, you know. Uh, you know, putting on this, on the animals. It's, it's this idea of this mass repentance. Again, this book is... is it's just so crazy because it all goes to this craziness because in chapter four, it just drops this powerful point that we're just like, oh, this is all leading to chapter four. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So that's the, the message of the king to the people. And so this entire city, Jonas, the book of Jonah says, is in repentance and ashes and calling out to God, would you spare us? We repent, we, we, we turn. And so in verse 8, the king says, they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. This is the, the Hebrew word shuv. And uh, we might think of shove, but it's just shuv, it's different, but, which means to turn around, change direction. This is where we get our word repent. And so you'll hear that in, in church, like to repent, to repentance. It's simply this idea of going this way, 
and turning around and going the other way. That's, that's all repentance is. It's not some scary word. It's just simply to change your mind or change your direction. And so the Assyrians are walking in this way, skinning people alive and jamming sticks in them, and they're going to change to loving people. And, and that's repentance. And there's this mass repentance over Nineveh. Now, there's no, uh, outside the Bible, no recorded history of this actually happening. And if it did happen, we know it didn't last. Because eventually, and even the Bible says that the Nineveh still stayed in their ways eventually. And, and, and the Babylonians came in and took, took them over. Eventually, the city was, was destroyed. But at least for this moment, they are in repentance. And then finally, the last verse is, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we know God at least had threatened destruction uh, on them. And, and, and so this brings up the idea, and we, don't want, we just want to maybe just talk about this and then we'll end, this idea of, because here we say, you know, God threatening destruction. Jonah's saying, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. This, this idea of, um, and it's brought up in this book, of God's anger and, and his wrath. And we talked a little bit of it back in, in chapter 3. But when it comes to God, and you, you can see even a couple of these views in the book of Jonah. I mean, one view, which the king had, is that God is just an angry, wrathful God. You know, he's, just, he's always ticked off because people are always sinning, and he just can't wait to throw a bunch of people in hell and watch them consume because and that burning in hell is going to give them glory. And God's just an angry, wrath, you know, angry wrathful God. It seemed to be what the king of Nineveh heard, or at least, thought, he says, about God, oh, he's going to hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And I mean, the king of Nineveh, the only thing he really would have known about God, maybe he heard some things, but Jonah was the prophet, and Jonah was saying, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And so the king of Nineveh might be thinking, well, God, just, he's just a really angry God, and he's going to destroy us. Some folks think that God is kind of, he's love and wrath kind of equal, and you never know which one's going to show up, and you know, he can be really loving one day and you're really wrathful the next day just kind of like a you know like an alcoholic parent or something like that you know people who live in these first two categories often live with a lot of fear you know they're constantly afraid of god and and afraid of his discipline and they're always feeling condemned by god and always feeling judged by god and and they're very sensitive about everything you know what's god going to me and they're, they're they can never just relax into the arms of the father son and holy spirit they're always on edge you know, you know people like that. Maybe family members or friends where you're around them, you're just always on edge. You can never actually just kind of relax into the love of the moment. You're just always like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And their fear. But there's also another view, and this is actually the view that Jonah has. And the whole point of this book is to bring us towards this view that God is a loving God. In fact, the very reason Jonah runs from not wanting to go to Nineveh is because Jonah knows that God is a grace filled, merciful, compassionate, loving God. And Jonah doesn't run from Nineveh because he's like, you know, I don't want to go there because I don't like those people and I'm afraid that I'm going to be killed. That's not why he runs. Chapter 4 actually tells us the reason Jonah doesn't want to go is because he's like, I know God, you're merciful, compassionate, and you're going to have mercy on those folks and you're going to end up forgiving them and I don't want you to. I mean, Jonah thinks God is too loving in his mind. I mean, which makes sense because think about the, these Folks, I mean, tortured his people. Imagine a group of people coming and torturing your family in that way. I mean, 
I would be there on Jonah. It's like, oh, God, I don't think you want to have mercy on those. I want them dead. You know, I, just, I, just, I don't want to see them anymore. But it's because Jonah says this. You know, Jonah's so mad when these people repent and God, God forgives them. Jonah says, you, you know, I'm just, I'm so mad at you. Why? Because you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And you showed that on them. And he was, he's just so mad. We get that in the next chapter. But, but you do see here, it does say he is slow to get angry. And so when we talk about God being a God of love, we must never make the, the error of thinking there's never any wrath or anger in that. Because if you actually do love somebody, there is always a place for wrath and anger. Now, that word wrath kind of is really negative in our culture, but it's just idea of this anger that always flows out of love. I mean, here is God seeing what these folks from Nineveh are doing, torturing people and co causing tremendous suffering and tremendous pain. And God loves all people. Of course, he's going to be angry with the Assyrians for what they're doing. I mean, just as... I mean, if you had a, uh, a son or a daughter and they were out playing in your, in your yard and then you had a, you know, a bunch of bullies come around and beat up your kid, there would be some anger. It, it, but it's coming from your love. I, I love them so much, I don't want to see them hurt. And God is saying, I love people so much, I don't want to see the, the Assyrians causing this much pain. So Jonah, would you go and talk to them and ask them to repent? This is, it's, it's an anger coming from love. Now, sometimes... It's hard for us to get this because our anger is often, you know, coming from, from error or not understanding of the situation or it can be, can be too much. But God's anger is always perfect and it always comes out of his love. The Bible says God is love. The Bible never says God is anger or God is wrath. We need to make sure that the attribute of love is always the utmost part of God. And then out of that, when people are hurt or out of line, there can be some loving kind of anger that is, God is saying, come back into my fold, come back into love, come back into the kingdom way of life, which is to love people, not skin them alive. Amen. And so there is this act of slow to get angry. And this is the, 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 the testament of the Bible. In fact, Jonah quotes from Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And, and we see this in the very definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. And that's usually where we make an error when we get anger, <laughs> angry. And God's love is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, when God forgives, He forgives. But there is this aspect, and we see it in Scripture, that, that God is so loving. And when he sees people being hurt, it can arouse an anger in him where he's saying, come to me, and it comes out in, in, in compassion. Now, we talked a little bit about this chapter 3, and we'll just kind of end with this. That most of the time in Scripture, when it talks about the anger and wrath of God, it is actually, it's not like God like, it's, it's God saying, you know, I love you so much and you, you want to keep going that way and you want to keep running that way. You know, I keep calling you and calling you. But eventually, because God has given us free will, because eventually God loves us, he says, okay, I'm going to let you go your own way. And, and the Bible often labels that as God's wrath or anger. I mean, we clearly see that, for instance, in a lot of cases. But for instance, Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, how does that work? 
The Bible says, well, God gave them over in their sinful desires. In other words, God is calling and calling, and we're like, no, I want to do my own thing. God says, no, I want you in the kingdom. I want to love you. Let's go down the path of love. And we're like, no, no, no. And then eventually God says, okay. And when he lets us go, that is often labeled as God's anger or God's wrath in Scripture. We see this very well illustrated by Jesus in Matthew 23. Or Jesus knows that Jerusalem will be destroyed because they're going down the wrong path and, 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 and here he's calling them back to himself. Would you come, come into my fold and this won't happen to you. And, and it's Jerusalem who, who kills the prophets and stone those who sent you. Jesus says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. God is always calling us in, but if we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, God eventually says, because I love you and I've given you free will, I'm going to let you go. But even in that, God's grace is still there. We saw that with Jonah. Jonah's pushing. I don't want God. I want to follow you. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to listen to you. And he experiences the consequences of being thrown into the ocean, and yet God's grace is still there to catch him with a fish. And even when we're going our own direction and we're running from God in areas of life, if you just stop, you will see God's grace there for you. You will see God still calling you home into his love and into his grace. You see, Jonah saw the Ninevites as enemies. And if you see God as a wrathful God, then you would see God as like, I hate these Ninevites too. But that's not the testimony of the book of Jonah. This is what God says about the Ninevites. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. This Hebrew word is to look with compassion. God was looking on this city that was so brutal and he still had compassion in his heart. He was angry about what they're doing, but he has this compassion. This is coming from this God who is love and looking down on the city and wanting them to, to come back into the way of love. And if God can look on compassion on a city like Nineveh, I guarantee he's looking on compassion on you. And it may be that you are here and you're just like, oh, God, you know, God must not want anything to do with me because I just like keep screwing up and I keep thinking I can do it and I can't and God must be just so angry at me. He's looking at you with compassion. And he's calling you back into his fold. He has this concern as this common phrase in the gospel, gospels. When Jesus saw the crowds, he has compassion on them. And when Jesus sees you, he has compassion on you. And just as he's calling the folks of Nineveh to come into the way of love, he's calling you to come into the way of love and into the kingdom and into a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Father, we just open up our hearts in this moment to your compassion and your love. God, we want to be in a state of, of revival. Just removing those things that are not in line with you and receiving the things of the kingdom. And so God, would you continue to do your work in us? God, we just surrender our lives to you once again and we honor you and we love you for just God, your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.